Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we reflect on this month's sermons and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org or drop it in the suggestion box in the sanctuary. Be sure to say which sermon your question is about. And don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about any question askers on this podcast. November's theme was attention, and in this episode, we'll be discussing the two sermons, All Souls and On Grief and Gratitude, both of which can be found in this podcast feed. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> good. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you too. We're back at it. It wasn't so long that we were at the studio. In our official studio <laughs> that is real that we rented for this purpose. Yeah. So this month's theme was attention, mm-hmm. but the secret theme seems to be... <laughs> death and grief which is very heavy was it emotional to write these I mean I'll confess I totally avoided writing the second sermon until Mm. like as late as possible Mm. it did require a certain amount of getting into the emotional mental space of grief which is not something any of us really want to do readily right but then I think it was ultimately I found it sort of helpful and uplifting and it feels a little bit more peaceful when we can actually talk about the hard things instead of just knowing that they're there. Yeah. The first sermon, All Souls, we talked about a tradition that we have in our church Mm -hmm. of a way to process grief as a community. I wanted to ask you about the UU tradition in general Mm -hmm. and the UU doctrine or Mm -hmm. guidelines uh, when it comes to the afterlife. You know, a lot of cultures and faith traditions have prescriptive very about it. clear guidelines around yes. what they say about the afterlife. Right. What does Unitarian Universalism say about it? This is such a good question because the answer is that we don't have doctrine, mm-hmm. which is, I think, deeply confusing to many people because it's the antithesis of what exactly what you're saying, what most traditions do, where there's a certain teaching about God, there's a certain teaching about the afterlife, there's certain teaching about sin, all these different things. So most religious denominations have doctrines and we do not, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things that makes Unitarian Universalism fascinating and unusual and sometimes complicated because people like answers sometimes. Mm -hmm. We say we like questions and then sometimes we really wish we got to know. There's no teaching about what the afterlife is. There's no consistent, there's simply no doctrine. So yeah, there's no answer to that, which can be really hard when you're confronted with grief and with death. Part of what Unitarian Universalism guarantees is Mm -hmm. respect and space for individuals to do their own spiritual exploration. Right. But if we want, if we're looking for a way to structure that exploration and that personal growth that we're trying to do and and that kind of work, what kind of structure can UUism provide for that journey? So I'll say this is a particularly funny question to ask me because I grew up UU in like a very amorphous congregation that was founded about when I was born Mm -hmm. and they didn't have a minister until I was in college. Oh, wow. And so when I went to college, I decided that I wanted to practice Judaism because I was really sick of how wishy-washy everything (laughs) felt. And I really wanted ritual and I wanted tradition and I wanted community that had these like 
clear ways of doing things because Unitarian Universalism isn't always good at that. And we're not absent of things, but it's significantly more fluid than things like Judaism, which is particularly good at sort of death traditions and grief and those kinds of things. So part of our tradition is both the center is sort of this covenant, right? The seven principles of how we're agreeing to live together, one of which is this individual search for truth and meaning, right? So we're all agreeing that we're going to show up for this complicated spiritual task of searching Mm -hmm. in community with other people who are searching. But then the other thing that I think can be really helpful is the six sources, which is something we don't often talk about. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, I think. And so the six sources are acknowledging all these different sources of wisdom. Right. Some of which center personal direct experience and some of which call on other religious traditions such as Judaism, Christianity, and earth-centered religions, as well as science and reason. And it can get a little bit complicated if if we start to think about it as all of these sources belong to us as mm-hmm. a community. So, you know, you can take a little bit of Christianity, you can take a little bit of Hinduism, you can sort of popcorn choose whatever you want. Um, and I think that can be an unhelpful and maybe questionable way of using mm-hmm. different traditions. But I think if we focus on the six sources as a sort of acknowledgement of all of the wisdom and sacredness that might be in the room at the same time, because Mm. our community is so diverse, and part of our personal journey is to find sort of the sources of our own lineage of what are the things that specifically speak to you. Because some people, it is Christianity, or some people, they grew up Jewish, and so maybe that's really part of their personal practice. And so... Being a UU is this sort of complicated alchemy of where have I come from and where am I now and what practices serve my spirit Mm. and which ones don't and how does being in community help? Because I do think that being a Unitarian Universalist without any kind of congregational community can be tough because it, it just becomes so amorphously individual. But I think if we sort of hold all of those things together, it can, it can help us on our, our journey. There's a saying that I'm sure you've heard this. If you've been to one UU church, you've yes. been to one UU church. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, a lot of the building of the religion comes from the communities that right. are practicing it. Exactly. Which so, is why they can be so different. Yeah. And so being immersed in a people that are sort of all doing this thing together is really important. Yeah. I want to move on to the second sermon that we're mm-hmm. discussing today, which is on grief and gratitude. There was a lot of complexity, yes. I think, which <laughs> is totally emblematic of the way that pain and pain processing can affect us and the ways right. that we can approach it. Right. Grief, bereavement in particular, or you know, a lot of other kinds of pain. Right. One thing in particular that you mentioned that stuck out to me was the quote about grief weightlifting in the oh, basement. Yeah. <laughs> if you ignore your feelings, we'll start weightlifting yes, in the basement. Yep. Exactly. Can you just say what you meant by that? I think when you when you try to deny things, they don't go away. They just start sort of getting bigger and bigger until they finally get your attention, right? Because yeah. if something awful happened to you, pretending it didn't happen doesn't make it not have happened yeah it just makes it sort of the thing that you can't touch yeah which gives it more and more power right painful things call for our attention even if we are very reluctant to give it right there's a few different reasons why we might not want to you mentioned guilt and shame as one Mm -hmm. 
why did you choose to talk about that in this sermon, in this right. particular season and right. time? Because I think leading into the holidays, this sort of game of comparison can get dialed up really, really high Yeah. because there's this expectation that everyone should be joyful and should be happy and should be having fun and has a perfect family life and mm. et cetera and et-, et cetera. In this season, the complexity of dealing with those hard things can sort of shift to be more or at least in part shift to be about this sort of sense that it should be otherwise. And maybe mm. something's wrong that with you that you don't feel those sort of easy joy and bliss and all that Christmas magic. Yeah. And that's certainly not the only thing, but I think in this particular season, that's a thing that becomes more acute than it is at other times. Right. So there's an element of self-judgment. Right. Right. Or, or sometimes even the sort of grief that you think everyone else's world is so perfect and you don't mm. have that. Yeah. My hope was leading into this season to try and sort of to temper against that inclination because it can just make it harder, right? Yeah. If you're if you're both dealing with something difficult, if you can be cognizant of it and sort of diminish the degree to which you think it it shouldn't be, mm. right? Something's wrong with you that you don't feel, yeah. I don't know, like a Christmas elf. Then, then it makes it less bad because you can just feel the pain and not feel the pain and the shame at the fact right. of it existing. So one reason that we might not feel our feelings mm-hmm. authentically is that self-judgment, that guilt and right. shame. Another might be putting on a brave face for other people. Right. But there's a third reason that I wanted to talk to you about that is very nuanced. Yes. And that's the element of psychological safety right. that comes with pain that is so so big that, you know, if you feel it all at once without having the appropriate safety measures in place, I guess I'll say, or support system in place, just trying to feel it all at once might be re-traumatizing. Yes. And this is a very good point. And I'm totally not encouraging that. This is not like a, I don't know, like get it all out on Christmas Eve to your whole family. That's not what I'm saying. I don't recommend that. Because you're right, right? Defense mechanisms are really, really help, helpful psychological function because they prevent overwhelm, right? They mm-hmm. prevent feeling so much that it's just going to hurt you more. It's not helpful, I think, to override that mm-hmm. because, yes, you shouldn't, if you're in a place that doesn't feel safe, then feeling everything and releasing it probably isn't going to be a good idea. Yeah. But I think what can be helpful is instead of denying that it's happening and sort of lying to yourself, you can be aware internally that like this is hard for these reasons and I'm not going to go there right now, but I'm also not going to pretend it's fine. Yeah. And then when I do have the moment, when I do have the safety, when I have the people who I know can care for me, then I can lean into that and sort of release the pressure valve a little bit so that right. in these situations where I know I can't express it, I've sort of cared for myself in a way that's kind and aware of the reality of the situation. Yeah. Uh, what are some ways that people can try to build that safety? So yeah, that they that's can, a great question. You know, either externally or internally right. create a place that is safe right. for them to start releasing a little bit of that pressure. Right. There are all kinds of different tools from things like therapy to journaling to sharing with close friends who you trust and, and sort of finding the people who you can be fully open with in a way that feels loving and safe. I mean, part of the goal of therapy is to develop that kind of relationship where you know the other person cares mm-hmm. and you develop this practice of feeling safe and being able to be open. And so finding the ways, even if it's just with yourself and sort of like journaling is a good way of doing that, of, of really tuning into yourself about what's going on with you 
that you don't necessarily have to share with anybody, but at least you're getting your own care and attention. Yeah. So if that's finding a quiet moment to go for a walk and just sort of acknowledge that you feel a lot of feelings and sort of give yourself the space to just chill out a little bit. Mm. I also think that religious communities can be really positive if it's a place that feels safe for you because it's sort of a place to practice being vulnerable or think about ways of showing up with your whole self with maybe the people who aren't the hardest, right? You hope Mm. that the people in your congregation feel safe and maybe are sometimes removed enough that it's not the, you know, it's not the hardest person. Yeah. So I think finding those kinds of ways of whatever feels accessible to you, maybe you want to talk to a friend, maybe you don't want to talk to a friend, whatever it is. It's totally an intuitive self journey that's worth going yeah. on. You mentioned that like your feelings, if you lock them away in the basement, yes. they'll weight lift. <laughs> but maybe you can weight lift on the other side of the door. Exactly. The right, right, right. Yes, you can match them. You can, yeah. you can develop the strength to be in them and feel them. So you also mentioned uh, that resiliency and gratitude yes. uh, study. Mm-hmm. I would love if you could just talk a little bit more about your experience with that. I did my chaplaincy at a hospital in Minnesota, and this was one of the sort of workshops for all the staff people, because obviously people in in medical professions see a lot of trauma and a lot of hard stuff. And so they can get, as you were saying, traumatized by the things around them or re-traumatized. And so this resilience practice was specifically directed at trying to help them, um, help us function amidst all of that intensity. And so this particular practice that they talked about, which they said was one of the most helpful things, is a writing down of three things that you're grateful for every day. And I've heard that a lot, is a sort of keep a gratitude journal. But one of the things that was really interesting about their version of it was that you were supposed to write down what your role was in whatever good thing it was that happened. Mm-hmm. Because part of resilience is a sense of agency, right? That like you can you can do something positive to change the difficult situations. And so focusing on that daily of even amidst the hard things, good things are happening and I have some role in them. And Mm -hmm. I think there's like a good Mr. Rogers quote that's something like when the bad things are happening, look for all the helpers or something Mm -hmm. like that, which is sort of the same thing, right? And this corollary is look at the time that you were a helper. Right, right. Because you're not disempowered. Or whatever, yeah. Right. Because I think part of that, the sort of building your own strength for dealing with hard things is the sense of agency that you won't get washed away by them, Mm. which can be hard, especially because, you know, if your trauma or whatever it is comes from childhood, when you would get washed away by it, it's hard then in adulthood to shift into sort of knowing that you have more, more say over your circumstances. Right. It's hard, you know, not to feel like that kid when you're dealing with things that happened to you when you were a kid or what have you. Exactly. Because there are a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of grief, be it bereavement or otherwise, a huge thing that comes with it is that feeling of utter powerlessness. Yes, exactly. Right. So. Right. And nothing good, like there's no potential, there's no hope. And so I think this sort of gratitude practice of, of what good have I done and how did it make me feel too? That was sort of, that was part of this practice is it, you know, it made me feel I don't know, joyful or empowered or happy or um, tender, whatever it is. Those are all sort of feelings and stances of empowerment Mm -hmm. and hopefulness, which is a really helpful companion when you're trying to also acknowledge whatever hard things you're carrying at the same time. Is there a way that we can know when we're in a safe enough place to deal with feelings that have felt unsafe in the past? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think... Part of the process is 
is in part the learning to know when you're safe, right? Mm-hmm. That is itself a muscle that you have to to flex and to learn to use. And I think perception is really important. Like if we believe we're unsafe, functionally we are, right? Yeah. In terms of our physiology, in term, like all of those things. And so I think part of the work of healing and trust building with ourselves is learning to trust our own agency and sort of dialing back that fear so that we can get to the place of being able to perceive safety. But if we're not perceiving safety, it's not good to override that and say, you know, like someone else told me it's safe, so I should just override all of my trauma and pretend it's fine, right? Like that's not helpful either. So I think it's these practices of like, how do you find quiet time with yourself to be able to lean into hard things is partially this like how do I build a container where I can learn to understand safety yeah and where I can learn to trust it and again like therapeutic relationships having a therapist a lot of it is that relationship building of knowing here I'm safe and so then I have that paradigm inside me and then I can start to use it outside of that room Hmm. So clearly I'm a big fan of people going to therapy yeah. <laughs> as most millennials are. Uh-huh. Um, but really I think whatever it is of get a weighted blanket or journal or light a candle and sit quietly or find some time to be quiet, whatever it is that can sort of help your nervous system calm down enough that you can know you're safe Yeah, and you can, you can sort of learn to recalibrate so you can, you have a sense of, yeah, the places that really are safe and the places that really aren't because not everywhere is a safe place to to be super vulnerable. And not every time in your life is a safe place. Correct. Either. Right. right. It is really valuable to try to understand that there is the possibility of being psychologically safe. Yes. You have agency in getting to the place where you are right. psychologically safe. Right. And the fact that you didn't dive into all of the painful things when you were unsafe is not something that you need to judge yourself for. No, no. And rather, I would say, be grateful for those defense mechanisms that got you through it. Yeah. Which again is the sort of responding to them with guilt or shame or whatever that like I should have been able to deal with it. Something was wrong with me. Instead saying, look at all that I made it through and thank goodness I had all of these like natural processes for protecting my psyche and learning how to to find as much safety as I could, those defense mechanisms, I think are actually something to be grateful for because they protect us. And that's, I mean, again, that gets back to also, you know, befriending grief, right? seeing what it needs, what it's trying to say to you. Right. Once you start to dial back defense mechanisms, you know, it can be a very frustrating process where you're in conflict with your defense mechanisms and they're still trying to protect you and, you're having to deal with, you know, potentially additional work or pain right. or fallout that the defense mechanisms have right. caused. Yes. But like this revolutionary act of befriending them and befriending your grief and right. befriending your fear yeah. and saying, you're trying to serve a purpose. Exactly. You're trying to accomplish exactly. something. Thank you. Yes. What are you trying to tell me? Yes. I mean, I think that that can be very overwhelming but when it's safe to do it it can be so incredibly healing yes and it's totally not like a one-stop shop yes that's not (laughs) that's not a one-day process yeah no no no, it's not yes I mean but I think it's a lifelong process it is it is your whole life right right and I think there there can come a time in life when we know that 
our level of defense mechanisms are no longer serving us. And then there's the sort of motivation to shift into change. Yeah. And so it's having the courage to lean into that in a way that's kind to ourselves. Yeah. I think is really important. All right. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. Again, if you have any questions that you want to submit, please email them to podcasts at uucsw.org or drop them in the suggestion box in the sanctuary. And once again, we won't share the names or identifying information about any question askers on this podcast. So we will talk, we'll talk to, to you next- soon. Yes, yeah. we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org or visit us in person. All are welcome.